everybody, and welcome to the 389th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast enchanted with a villain's role and a golden touch. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello everyone, as always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the stuff that happened this week, but before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week? we got four great, five great segments lined up for us this week. First of all, we got to talk about the Metagame Week in Review with a Modern and a Legacy Challenge online. Segment two is our top movers for paper this week, followed by the top movers online. In segment four, you and I have cards to watch, places where we think it's good to park a little value. And then we've got more Wilds of Eldraine spoilers to talk about. Previews? Spoilers? What's the word we like to use? Reveals? What do you like? I like spoilers, because everybody knows about spoiler alerts, but people can do what they want. Jumping on in here to the metagame we can review, we've got the Modern Challenge from this past Saturday August 20th, 2023. Amulet Titan taking this whole thing down with three copies of the One Ring, then followed up by Blue Red Murktide, rocking the full complement of four Preordain. Another Blue Red Murktide in fourth with two copies of Preordain. Shardless Rhinos in fifth with four Lorien Revealed in the main. And then all of the remaining decks in the top eight. Blue Black Mill in sixth, Creativity Combo in seventh, and Five Color Domain in eighth. We're all rocking at least... Three copies of Preordain, and 11 copies out of a total possible of 12. So, safe to say, Preordain, hot off the band list, is one of the most playable cards in the format, right out of the gate. But the most interesting thing in this is that Humans, a deck we were just talking about in the Discord today, about having kind of disappeared uh, out, of the, out of the modern uh, metagame, is apparently not that far outside, given that it finished third here, Rob, uh, including four copies of Coppercoat Vanguard and two copies of Jarena Dauntless General. And I bet you you have to go look that one up, folks. I'm having to look it up right now. I know there was the one that allowed you to exile stuff from... But this one is the two-mana Legendary Human Soldier... When it enters the battlefield, exile target player's graveyard. That's already semi-playable in the main deck. And then sacrifice Jarena to give all your humans hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. Whatever wrath effect they have, Jarena gets around it. And that's always a great feeling. I would imagine part of what's handy about Jarena here is that with either, uh, either vial, you can flash in Jarena in response to scam shenanigans and black red scam. So they go to get a Fury or a Grief back, and you can empty it out of the graveyard before they can pull it back into play. It's also great in response to their first attempted Wrath as well, but you're right, a four Aether Vile deck, 19 lands, including a four of Esper Sentinel. You've got Lavinia, which will also play Merry Hell with their ability to play the Elementals. So this seemed like it was in a good spot, and notably only one regular Thalia. Usually you see more of those. There's not even more in the sideboard as well. I think that's because all you know the the bulk of the free spells in modern that you see the most of uh, Thalia doesn't really mess with enough, and <laughs> Thalia stopping the one ring from being cast for four instead of you know five instead of four is not not really where Thalia is uh, going to shine the most. You really want her against decks that are trying to do a bunch of one casting cost things in the same turn. Um, and, and especially non-creature-y things, obviously. It's also like really impressive that 
they decided to go for an Aether Vial deck, 19 lands, five of them being Sacrifice the Land to Draw Card lands, that you're going for in this time when people are ready to deal with the One Ring, you know what I mean? A lot of artifact hate out there. Coppercoat Vanguard was a four of here. It's a two, two for two. Each other human you control gets plus one, plus zero, and has ward one. Very handy uh, against things that might want to target your humans, including furies and lightning bolts and the like. And you can still get those for about $5. I wonder if that's a spec. Have to, I'd have um, to see a couple more top eights with humans in it before I'd feel comfortable going after the Vanguard. But Yeah, it was, it was an uncommon, right? It's not like it was a rare... Yeah, it's an uncommon. But the Halo foils are at about 60 listings. No one has more than two or three copies in stock. I'm fond of Halo foils, as we're going to talk about in a little bit. You could talk me into that now. Over in the Legacy Challenge on Saturday, August 19th. So this was taken down by Blue Black Merktide, three Merktide, four Orcish Boy Masters, four Grief. And then you also had Soren's Ransom in that list. And then there was a four-color control list in third that ran two fourth Aerolingus as their red splash and three Soren's Ransom. And then there was a blue-black shadow list in fourth that was four Death Shadow, two Merktide, four Grief, and four Troll. Lots of blue-black X action in this format right now. Second place list was Mono Red Blood Moon, which is four K- Caves of Chaos Adventurer, all of the lands that make two mana. Four Blood Moon, two Oliphant, two Magus of the Moon. There's a Lands deck in fifth, featuring four Urza Saga. High Tide in sixth with two Lorien Revealed. Dredge in seventh, and a Thassa's Oracle build in eighth. I love Legacy. I, I'm sad that the deck we got to look at the other day with the uh, foolishness of creative technique isn't in this one, but it's still notable that we're getting a lot of Lord of the Rings cards in here, so... Their goal of shaking up formats is really doing it, but it's we don't see a lot of the One Ring here. We do have a couple Bowmasters to be found, and we've got more of the land cycles in this particular Top 8 than anything else. Yep. Top 8 Removers kicks off with Preordain, the Lord of the Rings Commander version, $5.25 to $7, 33% gains on the back of that modern unbanning and widespread play and testing. Spawn Sire of Ulamog at a Rise of the Eldrazi, 20 to 27. That's 35% gains on the back of Zuladoc being the most popular commander getting built. And I've upgraded my Zuladoc three times already. And I think it will earn its slot as a permanent uh, addition to my decks in rotation. Uh, it's got a unique play pattern, super fun to play. There's a whole bunch of cards you don't get to play anywhere else in that deck. And uh, as such, it makes, makes a strong case for being put in rotation. We've got Eldrazi Mimic, also a Zuladoc card out of Oath of the Gatewatch, two fifty to seven. Sorry, two dollars and fifty cents to three seventy-five, fifty percent gains. Then you have Taunt from the Rampart, the uh, Goad and Protection card out of the Lord of the Rings Commander uh, cards, five dollars to seven fifty, fifty percent gains there. Urza's Workshop, just the BRC basic version, going thirteen to twenty on the assumption that it needs to be played heavily in Zuladoc. We talked last week about how uh, it wasn't. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, and then I looked at, when I was in editing, I actually cut that part out, because, and people never heard of it, because oh. I had mistakenly suggested that that the bonus mana from Urza's Workshop is the result of having the three Urza's lands in play, but it's not. It's the result of having three artifacts in play, which is much easier to achieve and much more likely in Zuladoc because you, you're you typically going to have something like 10 mana rocks in the deck plus various ways to make treasures. Uh, and so Workshop is significantly better than I, than I discussed on cast last week. Uh, Princess Twilight Spite Sparkle, one of the promo My Little Pony cards from several years ago, never caught a reprint very unlikely to ever catch a reprint $60 to $100 as it finally drains right out mask of memory surge foils out of the 40k premium decks 475 to $9 90% gains yet another surge foil just being hollowed out after being targeted on top of the natural flow of demand Dreadhorde Arcanist out of Time Spiral Remastered, non-foils, $2 to $4. And foils, there's like a single copy listed on TCG Player in Near Mint right now. I think it's at like $50 or something. So anybody who has any of those sitting around should be looking for their exit. 
you know, that's what you get when it was something like one foil every 27 packs, right? So it took something like a thousand and a half packs to get one particular foil retro frame from Times Power Remastered. And this being a legacy card that when they when they play it in legacy, this is you, you got to have a matching. You can't have unmatching non foil ones. Oh, the horror. There was discussion in our Discord today about how an appearance of Carlock in Baldur's Gate 3, a solid candidate for best video game of the year, uh, and one that I'm, I'm currently playing through myself, is leading to Carlock, Fury of Avernus, etched foils taking off, going from $4 to $13. i am not convinced that that is players of the game driving that, as opposed to speculators trying to drive that narrative. But I guess time will tell as to whether this can hold a fresh plateau. Uh, Carlock is certainly a fun character in the game. Not sure that makes me want to run out and buy one of the related cards, but here we are. I mean, there's worse reasons to run out and buy cards than you just played something with a cool character in it. Is Carlock cool in the game? Yeah, she's pretty Do you cool. Know yet? Right. Yeah, she's like a she's like a hot hot demon that has a foul mouth. Yeah, she's pretty fun. Deceiver of Form foils out of Oath of the Gatewatch, $3 to $20. I think this is kind of a bad Zulodoc spec. It's it's only in sub-50% of all the Zulodoc decks. I don't think you need this card. I don't, I don't think it makes a good its way into a good Zulodoc list. Uh, this is the one where you can flip a card off the top at the start of combat and turn all your attackers into whatever card that is. The thing is, the attackers that tend to be in play in Zulodoc are already huge. So... You don't necessarily sure. want to turn, you know, Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger into some other attacker. And this is pretty expensive to get into play on that basis. So I haven't included it in my list, and I doubt it will ever make it in there. Uh, eh, it's really good with Eldrazi spawn <laughs> and whatnot, but I see the point you're making. Yeah. Top Magic Online Movers of the Week. Got Shipwreck Marsh out of mid going 5.52 ticks to 7.43, 35% gains on the back of standard usage. Mana Confluence out of Journey into Nyx, 4.89 to 7.09 ticks, 45% gains on the back of Heavy Pioneer usage. Arclight Phoenix making a comeback in that format as well and going 3.35 ticks to 5.22, 56% gains for Phoenix. Remember that Arclight Phoenix is going to be in Ravnica Remastered coming up, so if you've got them and you're ready to profit off them, don't keep them very much longer. Moving on over to cards to watch, I'm going to kick things off with a Zulidoc spec that I think is a must-include in that deck. I just pulled one of my Japanese collector boosters this morning and was very pleased to do so. Uh, I'm talking about Darksteel Monolith Foil Extended Arts. This card is in the Zulurok deck to begin with, so it's not going to have the same kind of momentum as the cards that have single printings from years ago that were not included in the deck. But the thing about this card is it has applicability far beyond the Eldrazi builds, because this is a 8 casting cost artifact that has Indestructible, so it's not easy to get rid of outside of Exile effects. And once each turn, you can pay nothing instead of paying the mana cost of a colorless spell you cast from your hand. So that doesn't care if you're casting Eldrazi. Two years down the road, they're going to print some ridiculous artifact commander for 10 mana that has nothing to do with the Eldrazi, and this is still (laughs) going to be a must-include in that deck because it does all the same things there that it does in the Eldrazi deck. It just lets you cast big, ridiculous things like Darksteel Forge and Ulamog and, and Karns and whatever you want. And getting... This, this is effectively a mana rock that taps for infinite mana once, <laughs> which okay. me, means okay. it's means it's pretty good. And the you can't untap it with a manifold key to do it twice. But I suspect that there are blink shenanigans to be done in certain cases that that might make it even more interesting. Because if it leaves play and comes back, then you're gonna get to do the thing again. So I could I could picture. Even in Brea, there's probably some shenanigans that could be done, given that you have access to white and blue. Well, it's got to be colorless, so it's not just an artifact. It has to be an artifact with no colored mana cost. Yeah, but that's not particularly hard in indexes like Brea. Mm-hmm. So you like this in which version again? I like this in Zulodoc, where it's casting Eldrazi for free. Well, right, but you like the foil extended arts, I meant. Yes, the Foil Extended Arts. Foil Extended Arts are down to 29 listings, which is pretty low for a card that just came out. 
and nobody's got particularly deep deep amounts of this because uh, they're not all that easy to pull out of the packs. I can see these floating down as low as 12 to 15. If there are pallets of this product that are going to get opened by a gaming company, etc. months down the road, then I could see this easily getting lower before it gets higher. But it's exactly the kind of card that's unlikely to see any kind of reprint in the next few years. And then as some other commander sets it off, and as Zuladoc is already provide, and the other Eldrazi commanders are already providing background support for the card, some other commander setting it off down the road will send it sky high. So I'm going to call it to go 20 to 30 in 18 months. I like this card a lot. You've made a good case for it. You're right that it's an artifact, and those decks will try to cheat these things out, whether... You're doing some crazy mana rock shenanigans or you're going for some kind of messed up tinker target so you can cast something. It does have the built-in restriction that you can't cast your giant Eldrazi from the command zone. You have to cast it from your hand. So that is important to note. But I think the, the main reason why I would pause on this is, like you said, I think it's got uh, some space to head down first. And if we were talking two to three months from now and it's 15-ish, then I would have a much easier time getting in on it. But I, I think that we can be patient on this for a little while, but there will be some money to be made on this card. I do agree with you that the future synergy is there. One of the things that's on my radar is the keystone art they showed of the Eldrazi for next summer's Modern Horizons 3. Right. If that's Emrakul, the promised end, and friends getting reprinted, that's fine. But if it's new versions of the Titans, then all Let's you need go. is... Yeah, I mean, all you need is one of those to take off, and all of a sudden you've got people looking at Eldrazi decks again. Yeah, then we got to decide, well, which is the best Eldrazi commander you want to play? Is it Zuladoc? Is it one of these new Titans? We'll have to see. I mean, I suspect it's going to still be Zuladoc, because Zuladoc being on 6, 8, 10 instead of like 10, 12, 14, and cascading into the others is pretty good. I mean, yeah, it's pretty awesome. They'll, they'll, they'll do something cool with the if it's new Titans, but yes, I agree. Zuladoc is hard to argue with. And, and keep in mind that Monolith is especially good in Zuladoc because the biggest thing in your hand that you would is what you would like to cascade twice because then it cascades into two other big things. But sometimes you have 8 or 10 mana and you really want 12 or 14. And Monolith says, no problem, I got you. As long as you've got 8 to get me out. <laughs> you know, like if you've got, yep. if you go Zuladoc and the turn after Monolith and then your next one is Promised End with no discount, then you're going to cast a 12 and an 11 or something off of that, and it's going to be really nasty. Plus, let's not forget, if you're playing a Zuladoc deck and you manage to go Zuladoc into Darksteel, the Darksteel monolith is going to cascade twice. Yeah. So I like it. I'm, I'm there. I'm just uh, advocating for a little more patience. But I get you. I get you. And your first selection for the week? Uh, my first pick this week is a fairy-related spec, since we're going to get some fairy commander decks. I've got a short-term pick of Foil Puppeteer Click from Modern Masters 2015. There was a Modern Masters 2015 foil, and there is a foil for the original, which I believe it was Shadowmore, right, that had the original? Yeah, Shadowmore and Modern Masters 2015. It's had some non-foil printing since... Commander 17 had it, New Capenna Commander. It was in one of the Batterful Baldur's Gate precons. So there's a lot of non-foils out there, but all we're talking about now are foils. The Shadowmore foils are nearly non-existent, nearly $20, but Modern Masters foils can be had in the $450 range. And that's a very appealing target, so $455. And I think that's going to double up to 10 bucks in foil Especially if it's not in the fairy deck, this is one of the best things to be ferrying out. Uh, there's a lot of milling strategies going on, so I, I'm there. It's only in 26,000 EDH rec decks, but if you have not played with this card, it's pretty busted. It's 5 mana, 3 black black, and what you get to do when it comes into play, you get a target creature card from an opponent's graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It gains haste. At the beginning of your next end step, exile it. So once you hit him with something, then it's exiled forever. And then it has Persist, so you get to bring it back and do it one more time. So yeah. I love and it. What, and, and what you're hoping is that you're playing against me, I'm playing Zuladoc, and somebody managed to kill an Eldrazi at some point that didn't have Indestructible, and then you're going to click There's it back There's no shortage of awesome creatures that die in Commander. I'm going to want all kinds of value all over the place. So 
yes, there will be ways to gain value all over. Given that there's no likely foil version of this, I think this is totally fine heading into what looks like a relatively strong complement of fairies being offered with the new Eldraine set. So I'll say no more about it and move on okay. to my next pick. I think we were dis- you were making Ur-Dragon selections a few months back when we knew that they we were getting Ur-Dragon reprinted in Commander Masters. It wasn't part of the Commander decks. It's just in the main set. And the- so the question I had was, is that going to be enough to move Ur-Dragon back into the forefront or do you need to be leading a deck to get things really humming? And sure enough, it's Zuladoc who is leading a deck that's in first place this week. But Ur-Dragon is not far behind in second. You've got 787 new decks on EDH Rec from Zuladoc this week. But the number two position is the Ur-Dragon followed, uh, sorry, Ur-Dragon with 580 decks, followed by Atraxa, kind of perennial top five at 557. Anakthea at 481, one of the other Commander Masters deck leaders, and then Sauron the Dark Lord in 5th at 425. So, as it turns out, Ur-Dragon's doing just fine. And what's a great card in, in Ur-Dragon that's worth taking a look at, therefore? How about Tiamat? Tiamat is from the AFR uh, Drag- Dungeons & Dragons set, so two years ago. And Tiamat's can be had for just $5. It is a mythic out of a summer set. And it is a 7-7 that when it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you search the library for up to five dragon cards not named Tiamat that have different names, reveal them, and put them in your hand. That's a very, very handy card. And it's in, as a result, it's in 72% of all Ur-Dragon decks reported on EDH Rec. Going to go with the basic version here since it's, the, the, you know, there was no deck, so there was no reprint of this. So the regular version is looking completely fine. So you like the regular version to spike up a little bit from, you said, 5 to 10. That's pretty defensible. I mean, I'm over here doing a victory lap because I was right about Ur-Dragon and everything. And Tiamat is one of the things that you just totally should be playing in Ur-Dragon. There's no reason to leave this glorious multi-headed beast out. I, If you wanted to make a case about the borderless non-foils... Like, the borderless art's pretty cool, and it's a, a notable upgrade for just a couple dollars. Um, I'm ashamed to admit how much I spent on my borderless foil copy back when it came out. So, But, you know, that's a personal purchase. It doesn't count. So I, I can see this. I, I like going for the cheapest version of a card when we know that the casual players are just hoovering like stuff like this up. And being able to cast Tiamat for six mana... Finding your six dragons that will make you happy. I'm sorry, your five dragons that will make you happy. Just feels so, so good. There's no wrong picks here. And uh, I approve highly of everything dragon related. The only thing worth flagging here is that it is also a list card. Now, it's a mythic on the list and the list is long. But that still adds a whole nother set of copies that is sitting around on TCG Player and other major platforms that is going to need to drain for this to move anywhere. So I think Ur-Dragon needs to stay in the top five commanders for, you know, a month or two months for this to really get anywhere. And if three or four weeks from now, Wilds of Eldraine commanders kick Tiamat to the curb and it goes back to, you know, being top 20 or 25 instead of top five, then this is is probably going to be unlikely to get anywhere in the near future. People just need to try dragons and then they'll love them. I mean, the deck is undeniably powerful. I've played against enough versions of Ur-Dragon and or Tiamat uh, to know that Dragons is a very strong type in, in the grand scheme of EDH. I mean, it's my next pick as well, so we're, we're right. in the right mindset here. Let's talk about yours. My other pick this week is the Halo Foils of Sarkin Soul of Flame, who was in March of the Machine Aftermath just three short months ago. Uh, you can get these Halo foils for around 30 bucks right now, and I'm picking them to double up in the next year or so. It's gone into 5,000 decks since the release three months ago. It's a hard pull from a set that really wasn't opened very much. You'd have to open 360 Aftermath collector boosters to get one of these. And there's under 70 copies total on TCG Player. It doesn't sell with a lot of velocity, but it only takes one or two copies uh, every other day or so, and then you're going to be drained out, and they're going to get real expensive on you. So if you have an Ur-Dragon deck, which I do, and you need a Sarkin Solo Flame in there, because you do, and it's just amazing, and everyone should be playing it. 
We didn't mention what it does. It's a 2-4 oh, yeah. that says dragon spells you cast cost one less to cast, obviously useful in the dragon deck. And then whenever a dragon enters the battlefield, Sarkin can turn into that dragon uh, until end of turn. So you can get a free hit with something very nasty kind of out of nowhere. Which is this is the very... only creature in my Ur Dragon deck that has two power. There's a three power in Dragonlord Zulamgar, and this is the only non-dragon in my deck as well. Yeah, fair enough. So I think the the deal with Tiamat and Sarkin is is the same. Like you need you need Ur Dragon to stay hot and people to be building the deck and looking for ways to upgrade it for these things to do well in the short to midterm, and otherwise they're going to sputter out relatively quickly. Keep in mind that these started pretty high in the mid fifties and have done nothing but go down since. And I right. haven't caught an uptick on this yet related to Ur-Dragon. And that could be indicative of underlying weakness in both of these picks, both Tiamat and Sarkin, if you don't see upticks in both in the near future. Tiamat would be less likely to have an uptick given the introduction of list copies. Mm-hmm. List tends to just keep things a little bit more flat, but I see what you're saying. Well, I mean, Sarkin has arguably just as much problem with the four other versions that are available in Aftermath. <laughs> That's true, but in something like this, when you can get the super premium... The frame is so cool, I wish it wasn't black and white art, but the dragon wing frame, that's hot. I love that. The cons of Tarkir frame, I dig it a lot. And if only he was a dragon, it'd be way too good as a dragon, though, because then he'd be two mana to cast this ridiculous thing. Moving on over to our topics of the week, we're just going to take another look at the the additional reveals from Wilds of Eldraine, with a special focus on the enchantment special subset that's available uh, in, I think, all booster packs, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Uh, with the anime art only available in the collector boosters. I think I've got that. That is right. also correct. So they showed off, since we last talked about this, Kindred Discovery. We got to see Polluted Bonds. I uh, dropped that into play in Aloro this week, and people were not impressed. Blood Moon, <laughs> catching a reprint, copy enchantment. Land Tax, getting double tapped, I think. Uh, yes, that has, that has gotten a lot of printing lately. They're including Spreading Seas at Uncommon and not allowing it to be played in, in the arena formats where... They apparently are not interested in letting people mess with the relatively complex mana bases. Bitter Blossom, catching a fairly predictable reprint here. Defense of the Heart. Fiery Emancipation has made me a bunch of money so far, and I presumably that will be challenged by this very good-looking reprint in this subset, of which they're going to be... Uh, a whole bunch of copies the other problem is that it's gone unlike smothering tithe which has gone from rare to mythic emancipation has gone from mythic to rare just not what you want if you're holding spec copies um for instance i've had i've unloaded four or five copies uh profitably from double masters 2022 smothering tithes that i bought in japan Japanese foils, English borderless foil, and just Japanese regular copies in the last week, despite the announcement of the the triple tap within that period, because people are still just going to reach and purchase reasonably priced copies of obvious cards without looking too hard sometimes. But something it's like also- Fire, Fire Emancipation going from Mythic Rare is going to be a lot more of it around of them than there was before. So if uh, you're a pro trader, you got this information around a week ago, but the the math that was released, uh, the preliminary stuff, as I was looking at it, we know that a foil rare in a collector booster, now this isn't counting the set boosters, it's not counting the draft boosters, but the foil rare of the Enchanting Tales versus a foil mythic is about four times rarer, give or take. Right. Sneak Attack, also included. Grave Pact, Oppression, Griffin Airy, Garrick's Uprising, Leyline of the Void, and I think that's Nature's Will. Yeah, Nature's, Nature's Will. Will yeah. Uh, so that's all, you know, very handy enchantments for various EDH purposes. Uh, over in terms of cards being revealed, what jumped out at me here? I like Lightning Looter, uh, the two-mana 1-1 one, one that does the looting. I always love it when they put it in their name. But also the ability to turn into a creature in your graveyard and note that this does not end at end of turn. So whatever it is you're turning into, it stays that way. 
and still has flying and still has this ability. So it's not like it's going to happen just once and then it stops. You get to do it all. You get to keep doing that. And this is an ability that can be broken pretty easily. I like Virtue of Loyalty. This is a enchantment that has a fairly minor adventure where for one and a white, you make a 2-2 knight creature token with vigilance at some point. But it's really much more interesting for just the enchantment side of it. At the beginning of your end step, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. But more importantly, untap those creatures. And something like St. Traft that I'm currently running, where I want to be untapping my creatures all the time and tapping them back down to convoke things and to get the extra benefits out of my commander. Virtue of Loyalty is very handy indeed. And I would imagine there's going to be a bunch of decks in similar position that can make good use of it. All of the Virtue cards are pretty good. I, I, We were talking about this in the Discord with the black one that has the minor kill spell attached to the uh, reanimate something from the graveyard every upkeep for seven mana enchantment. So the fact that you get both of these effects, you get the make a 2-2 token immediately, and then later on you get the five mana put plus one plus one counters on everything, that's really strong to have both of those in one card. I like Obira, Dreaming Duelist, as a potential fairy commander. Blue, black, 2-2, flash, flying. Whenever, just a simple ability here. Whenever another fairy enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses a life. So you can just build the deck chock full of fairies every time Obira is in play and you play a fairy. You're getting a slow, steady drain, but it's never going to be fast enough for the most part for anybody to be like, yeah, I'm going to spend my point removal on Obira. So she's just going to speed up games, which is, I think, it's... Commander deck games where you have one of the commanders putting pressure on life totals consistently are just better games because they just the whole thing moves faster and people have less time to maneuver and they've got to they've got to make decisions quicker and and commit to attacking instead of sitting back all of which keeps things dynamic and Obira looks like she's has fairly promising potential uh, along those lines. Uh, they also showed us. Rowan's Grim Search uh, as an instant for two and a black. It's got bargain, so you can sack an artifact, enchantment, or token as you cast a spell. If you do, then you look at the top four cards of your library, then put up to two of them back on top in any order, the rest in your graveyard, then you draw two cards and lose two life. If you're in a deck that benefits from card selection, which is basically all decks, and a deck that benefits from having specific things in the yard, this card looks very, very good. It's instant speed. It's three mana. Look at four. Draw those two. Put the other two that you want in the yard to set up the inevitable recursion. Good card. It does seem real good. I am thinking we're going to see some weird Agatha of the Vile Cauldron specs or spikes, I mean, uh, for, because she's red-green for a 1-1. One, one. Activated abilities of creatures you control cost X less to activate, where X is her power. And it can't reduce the effect to less than one. And then for four red, green, other creatures you control get one, one, and trample in haste until end of turn. I feel like there are people who are going to try and build activated ability decks around this. I don't know that they're going to be very good, but they are going to be around. For instance, if you have Agatha, you'd put Realm Scorcher Hellkite in there, and now it's one red to deal one damage to any target instead of two mana. That's pretty hot, and I think there's a lot of things we're going to see get bro broken with Agatha especially because that's the same color as Halana and uh, something in Halana, the, the partners from Innistrad who put counters on things every combat step. Yeah. I forget their names. But that's an easy way to increase the power in red-green, and we'll see some cool stuff happen. I'm looking forward to this. I like this new mythic enchantment, Virtue of Knowledge, four and a blue. The adventure is vantress visions instant one in a blue copy target activated or triggered ability you control choose new target you can choose new targets for the copy and then when you play it as a enchantment it's it's four in a blue if a permanent enters the battlefield causing a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger that ability triggers an additional time we've already seen this on elish norn earlier this year doing a lot of work and if you're in a deck that cares about this stuff and you can, you're in blue and white and you can run Norn and Virtue, you're going to be in a pretty sweet position. I mean, why do it? If it's good twice, it's even better three times. So let's, let's do that. 
Lich Knight's Conquest, four and a black for a sorcery. Sack any number of artifacts, enchantments, and or tokens. Return that many creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield. I can see tons of applications for this, especially in token object decks like uh, Sam and Frodo Food. By the mid-game, I usually have two or three combo-specific dead hobbits in the yard that people have felt the need to take care of with point removal or a sweeper. I, but I have a bunch of food sitting around. So I can cast Conquest, sack my foods, bring back all the combo hobbits. Sounds good to me. Over in something like Corvold, if I'm sitting on a pile of treasure, I can turn the treasure into reborn dragons and treasure-producing creatures. I can see a, plenty of ways to make Conquest good. I, I do think that's a pretty awesome card, especially because normally you get like four, three in a black for a Zombify effect to just return it from graveyard to play. Well, now you get to do that a lot more times as long as you have some fodder to get rid of. And I think commander players can find a way to do that profitably. So that'll be fun. Um, I wanted to call out Sir Ginger, the meal ender. If you remember the original Eldraine uh, cartoon trailer they had. Promo cartoon, yeah. Yeah, with the two gingerbread people and how Garut comes in and just smashes the gingerbread girl's boyfriend. And now she is out to kill some planeswalkers. It's two mana for a 3-1 with trample, hexproof, and haste as long as an opponent controls a planeswalker. Heaven help if uh, Super Friends gets popular in standard. This will be the <laughs> trump card to that. Potentially a solid aggro card against Planeswalker decks, yep. It's also a card you might want to think about in your food decks because whenever another artifact you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a 1-1 counter on this and scry one. Yep, I'm going to certainly try that in Sam and Frodo. I'm also going to try this black-green land that comes into play tapped and can turn into a 4-4 black and green horror creature for 4 mana. Whenever it attacks, you create a food token and exile up to one target card from a graveyard. That's a cute little opportunistic thing where you're getting a decent dual land in your EDH deck and once or twice a game, you're going to get some upside that synergizes with the rest of your deck. I mean, that's just good. These lands are just really good. Sweet Tooth Witch also fits right into the food decks. Two and a black for a 3-2 human warlock. When it enters the battlefield, you get a food. Two sack of food, target player loses two life. That's a, a potential uh, endgame accelerator in the food decks. How about a Blossoming Tortoise, two green green. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, mill three cards, then return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. Activate abilities of lands cost one less, so animating the lands, doing other things. And then land creatures you control get plus one, plus one. We haven't seen a lot of land creature going on, but it looks like they're laying it down. Or maybe this is just for the new creature lands. There's a bunch of green creatures that turn things into four, like one, one forests and so forth. There's the green X spell from last fall that uh, makes a bunch of one, one forests. Right. And this would make them two twos. There's a bunch of different combos that have been posted with Tortoise already. So I would I would imagine you're gonna see it in decks like Thalia and the Get Rog Monster and and Wind Grace and so forth in Commander. Can I interest you in a Goose Mother Hydra? A bird hydra for X Green Blue comes into play with X one one counters. When it enters the battlefield, create half X food tokens rounded up, and whenever it attacks, you may sack a food and draw a card really wish that was green white or green black i know green green blue blue. that's that's for sure yeah you can't have everything in the food deck man sorry greta sweet tooth scourge goes in there though one black green for a three three human warrior enters the battlefield get a food green sack of food put a plus one plus one counter on target creature Uh, that could be handy to making frodo too big to block in the early stages of being tempted by the ring one in a black, sack of food, draw a card, lose a life. Totally solid. Bonkers. Yeah. I think uh, that if you haven't gotten your copy of Trail of Crumbs was reprinted in the food deck, right? Hold on, uh, let me check on that. I'm not sure if that's true or not. No, I don't think so. All right, well, they better reprint Trail of Crumbs pretty soon because uh, it's all this stuff with all these food leaving play, it's going to get out of hand real quick. They showed the new version of Will Rowan. Uh, sorry, not Will Rowan. Will Will and Rowan, what's their last name? Kenrith. Kenrith? Kenrith, that's right, because their dad's dead now. 
Will Scion of Peace, one white, blue, two, four, human wizard with vigilance, tap, spells you cast this turn that are white and or blue, cost X less to cast, where X is the amount of life you gain this turn. <laughs> I can't wait to put that in a Loro, where I gain a minimum of two life per turn. So this is going to make thing I cast cost two less. So I, I tap this, I've got, say, five mana up. I've got a Rhystic Study in hand and some other random thing. And for five mana, I'm going to cast all of it onto the table because I've already gained two. And if I have a bunch of other permanents in play that gain me another one or two along the way on your average turn, then maybe I'm casting 12 mana worth of stuff. This is auto-include in the life gain decks. You don't really get access to mana reducers like this in white or blue very often. So I expect in the life gain decks that want this, it's going to be a very, very good card. I agree with that. Rowan is the opposite of Will. Rowan is a scion of war for one black-red. She's got menace. She says, tap spells that you cast this turn that are black and or red cost X less, where X is the amount of life you lost this turn. Activate only as a sorcery. I don't know the combos with this card yet, but I am sure that they are out there and they are terrifying. Back to the subset of enchantments, we're getting Dawn of Hope, we're getting Mana Flare, we're getting Hardened Scales, we're getting Intangible Virtue for the token decks, we're getting Intruder Alarm. So if you were holding on to Secret Layer Intruder Alarms, hoping they were going to take off, you're not getting much of a window. Although I think I like that that art better. Leyline of Lightning Oversold Cemetery, which is a mainstay in my Muldrotha deck. Ground Seal... Phyrexian Unlife with some cool art. Rain all very Sanity, solid. You skipped includes. over with the uh, all the all the the doubling up on the mills. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the more interesting combo cards shown off for the set proper is Agatha's Soul Cauldron for two mana, legendary artifact. You can spend mana as though it were mana of any color to activate abilities of creatures you control. Creatures you control with plus one plus one counters on them have all activated abilities of all creature cards exiled with Agatha's Soul cauldron and then tap exile target card from a graveyard when a creature card is exiled this way put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control so you're basically setting it up so you're going to have combos that are based on other creatures having already been exiled setting up a creature with a combination of abilities that allows you to do something nasty or infinite i've seen a couple things on twitter with uh uh, grist the insect planeswalker because that's a thing because Gris counts as an insect in all zones. Right. So you get to have those abilities, and there's all kinds of shenanigans that are going to be happening. And Godspeed. I can't wait to see what kind of convoluted-ass crazy things are going on with five different cards in Commander. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, uh, what else? How about that Regal Bunnycorn? One and a white. Power and toughness are each equal to the number of non-land permanents you control. Can I interest you in tossing this in a deck with some Epicures and some Vampire Harvesters and some, uh, what's the guy who makes a token, a clue token, we, uh, the Investigator? So, like, this this is going to be attacking as, like, a 4-4 or a 5-5 on turn 3. If you were looking yeah, th- for an excuse to play white, it's here. There was some discussion as to how close to Tarmogoyf this would be in a, in a deck that was looking to just flood the board with permanence presumably through tokens that are either clue, treasure, etc. And I think it gets pretty close. The question is, does can that deck coalesce to justify it? Because right. we we know what the patterns are in modern to get to make Tarmogoyf solid. And you know, Tarmogoyf is nowhere near the, the level of dominance it once was, but Jund is still top eights here and there. And and Tarmogoyf is still typically a four of in that deck. And Bunnicorn can probably get pretty close. I think in EDH, it's going to be tough to justify. Like in my food deck, I can make this a 5 5 to 10 10 pretty easily. But do I want a 5 5 or 10 10 for two in that deck? Probably not because it doesn't combo. Right. It needs a little bit more. It's just big. I'd almost rather it be like a two and a one that makes two zero one bunnies or something. And, and you get the the same power and toughness like permanent base stats um as is i suspect it's it's very fringe kind of all the way around the bend yeah i just like you know rabbit unicorn spells they showed us the latest 
white temporary exile effect where fox bodyguard one double white for a creature fox knight with flash enters the battlefield you can exile up to one target non-fox creature until it leaves the battlefield one white sack where fox bodyguard you gain two life so that's cute because you're getting you know an effect we've seen many times at this casting cost but the potential to generate upside when they go to remove it it's nice that it's flash based so that you can really mess up their attack phase potentially if they think they're they're getting a clean attack and they're expecting their biggest thing to get through, you can remove it in response. You have this to block on top of whatever other blockers you have, and you could really, really mess with them. I could see this definitely seeing some play in standard. I think it'll be very good in standard, yeah. Uh, we moved on to another set, to some more of the Enchanted Tales that have come out this week. We got the official word that Parallel Lives is finally being reprinted after how many years of praying and wishing and hoping so we get parallel lives we're going to get some more omniscience we got some more rest in peace and goblin bombardment coming so those are all very very welcome and and the parallel lives inclusion here just underscores the point we've been making for the better part of the the summer about how they're just not managing this process well put doubling season here or there in commander masters and put parallel lives in the other one and no one would be complaining nope that would just be totally normal They'd be complaining. There's always going to be complaining. But they'd be much less justified in their complaining. Note that they've moved Parallel Lives to Mythic here. Right. So Parallel Lives is apparently now Mythic alongside Doubling Season, which is even a, a little bit even more mystifying. Because the argument could be made, well, we put Doubling Season in Commander Masters because we needed a strong green Mythic in that slot. Well, if you're removing Parallel Lives to Mythic anyway, then you could have done that there. So I mean, <laughs> it, it really kind of like breaks down any remaining explanation can't, other can't than we're not somebody somebody in sealed deck is going to have doubling season and parallel lives in their deck in their token producer deck yeah mm. love it that's gonna be cute uh what else do i see here i like this this mer this fairy looter very solid looks like it could see standard play certainly playable in edh because it's basically a lasav looter blue black for a one one flyer tap draw a card discard a card x it becomes copy of target creature in your graveyard with mana value X, except it has flying in this ability. Yeah, I mentioned that a little earlier. It's it's a pretty sweet card. I can't wait to see what people do with it. Extraordinary Journey is a story spotlight rare. XX blue blue enters the battlefield. Exile up to two target creatures. Sorry, X target creatures. For each of those cards, its owner may play it for as long as it remains exiled. Whenever one or more non-token creatures enter the battlefield, if one or more of them entered from exile or was cast from exile, you draw a card. This is... People might get hung up on how expensive it is to remove problems with this thing, but they're missing the part where in EDH, increasingly people are casting things from exile because they keep giving red effects that do does that. So if you're playing against Prosper, for instance, this is going to draw you a shit ton of cards. It's also worth mentioning that you can play this at two mana, and it basically says every time you cast a creature spell after casting the adventure, draw a card. And that alone, if it just said that particular text, it would be much more obvious what it does. So keep in mind, and it's going to be anybody doing that, because it's not just yours. It's anybody sorry, casting from... Exile. Sorry, are we talking about the same card? What adventure? Extraordinary Journey. Doesn't have an adventure on it? No, this does not. But if you if you are casting a card after doing the adventure, you're casting it from Exile. So it's going to trigger... Sorry, you're saying in the random instance that somebody happens to be running an adventure card? Yes. Okay, you mean like that... all over the time? People are going to be playing a lot of adventures. And your adventures too. I, I don't think I'm convinced that that's true. I think the, 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 the number of playable <laughs> adventures in the format is very low. <laughs> well, we'll find out the fun way. I, I think I think it's much, much, much more likely that you're going to see Prosper triggers on this and that you're going to see all, like there's at least 15 red cards that exile cards that are played as either permanents or creatures, things like Professional Facebreaker, et cetera, where you, you are going to see those cards a lot. And... Extraordinary Journey could be a very sneaky way to be gaining card advantage, you know, five, six, seven, eight cards a game for two blue, sure. where it has upside in the late game where you could remove some problem things that are very expensive and make them recast them for exile. So, for instance, I could use this to get rid of your Ur Dragon, and then you got to go play, pay full freight to bring it back in. 
I can handle that. Thank you for the thought, though. <laughs> uh, let's see what else here. Three bowls of porridge might be the winner for best flavor in the set. One bowl too hot, one bowl too cold, one just right. It's a two cast and cost artifact food. For two, you can tap it and then choose one that hasn't been chosen. Deal two damage to target creature because it's too hot. Tap target creature uh, because it's too cold. And ice equaling tapping is one of the sub-themes in this set. And then sacrifice three bowls of porridge, you gain three life. Love it. Just right. That's that's great. Now, uh, and that's the usual thing, right? Two tap, you gain three life on food, correct? Yep. Uh, we also got Virtue of Persistence. Uh, I think I mentioned this a second ago. So it's uh, an enchantment with an adventure. So as a sorcery target creature gets minus three, minus three. Until end of turn, you gain two life. And that's only for two mana for one and a black. So you have a cheap, easy removal spell. And then for five black, black, at the be- it's an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, put target creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. Notably, that is anyone's graveyard. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this be the backbone of a strong standard control deck and i think it's excellent in edh i can't wait you... to play this in every black deck i have in command i'm, I'm gonna try and make room for this in ur dragon there's very very little downside here in the in the two formats in question because the control deck is getting life and dealing with an early attacker that's just that that would be playable probably by itself and then in the late game, you just start putting, you just start presenting inevitability. And in EDH, you got you get to choose from four graveyards. Yeah. So very very nasty. And I like this in Muldratha, for instance, in my in my own deck, because I can kill something early and then play this out of the yard later, or play it out of exile. It, they deal with it, then I can play it out of the yard. <laughs> Good luck with that. You're, you're going to have a lot of trouble dealing with it twice. Yeah, and there's no downside here. It, it's just good. It's good. It's a good, good card. We've got Discerning Financier as the debatable new poster <laughs> child for MTG Finance in general. I think my previous favorite, as I discussed in the Discord, is Merchant of the Veil, which has a, a slightly more playful tone. This is the more arrogant, haughty, elitist bullshit version that everybody projects onto us all the time. Two and a white for a 2-3 human noble. At the beginning of your upkeep, and if an opponent controls more lands than you, create a treasure token. Two and a white, choose another player. That player gains control of target treasure you control. You draw a card. That's actually very, very handy in EDH. When you're just giving stuff away and you're drawing cards, it's it's just beautiful. I, I love everything about this design. The only thing I think I would have changed is for each opponent who controls more land, make a treasure token so that... If you were the low one on the totem pole and you had two lands and everybody else has four, you get three treasure. But I see where they're coming from here. It's a nice catch-up ability in general. And then in the later game, when you're getting treasures incidentally through a bunch of other things, because if you're in white, you're also running Smothering Tithe. You might be running uh mangara you might be running any number of other things that might actually create treasures for you if you have five to 15 treasure producers in your deck then financier gets all the better and it has political angles as well if we were running a youtube version of this podcast i would have to buy the original art for this if it was uh, (laughs) non-digital and throw it in the background just to mess with people absolutely you should anyway more stuff from enchanted tales impact tremors getting a, a very notable reprint and at uncommon, not rare or mythic, so you can expect impact tremors to get a lot cheaper than it has been to date. Forced fruition, utopia sprawl, uh, all good includes. I mean, it's a very, very strong subset. It's pretty much all the relevant enchantments you could possibly imagine. Uh, I like Corvold and the Noble Thief. It's not a fantastic card, it's just a solid one that I would probably put in for thematic reasons into Core of Old. Three in a red creates a treasure token twice. That's not amazing. The third time, exile top three cards of target opponent's library. You can play those cards this turn. That's fun. <laughs> that is fun. It's not That's good, but fun. it's fun. <laughs> Knight of the Sweet's Revenge, however, is, is going to find its way into my Salmon Frodo deck. Three in a green enchantment. Whenever it enters the battlefield, create a food token. Foods you control have tap for green. 
That's pretty amazing. That's, that's much cheaper than the... Very What's good. the other one that says tokens have tap for a green? There's a legendary creature that does that that was recent. I don't remember the name. Oh, from CLB, I believe you, you mean. Yeah, one of those. So this is a way to turn all your food into mega acceleration. And then just, you know, it has a big old uh, you're going to win the game kind of effect at the end if you want it. Which is nice because it's duplication for Pippin. I've right. had Pippin targeted a couple of different times once they sensed I was close to activating. So having <laughs> having Knight of Sweet's Revenge give you a backup plan to attack, you know, heavily like that is, is pretty cool. Back for seconds also looks pretty solid. Two and a black for sorcery with bargain. Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. If the spell was bargain, you can put one of those cards with mana value four or less onto the battlefield. So it's a raise dead and an animate dead for three. I I would play this in food as well because I'm going to sack a food, put a halfling back into my hand and another one onto the battlefield. That's completely fine. That's probably going to let me get around a commander uh, tax uh, and get right back to it. We can't sacrifice the thing we're getting back because of the way it's worded, correct? Because you have to have targets when you're casting. And so you can't bargain. Yeah. So I don't think you can get like, you know, the big freebie going on that you would want from this. But it's still, like you said, very strong to get two for one this way. Yep. Uh, let's see. What's next? We have Tale for the Ages, the enchantment that's rare, one in a white. Enchanted creatures you can control get plus two, plus two. If it was enchantment and enchanted creatures, this would be a amazing card. As it is, it's just simply going to be solid because you need to have a lot of enchantments to throw around on different creatures. Yeah, I'd, I'd try it in Xur. I'm not sure if it would make it there or not. Season of Growth, Karmic Justice, Dark Tutelage... Leyline of Abundance, all catching reprints. Terms of cards in the main set. Uh, we get a new version of Intangible Virtue on a creature with Pollen Shield hair. So it's one in a white, 2-2. Two, two. Creature tokens you control get plus one, plus one. It's a redundant effect. Creatures die easier, but it also has one of the great names for an adventure for one green hair raising. It's a sorcery. Target creature you control gains vigilance and gets X excellent until end of turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. But it's so cheap that you can cast it and then cast the main creature as well. I love cards that let you do that. Fairy Slumber Party doesn't seem like a, a terrible Cyclonic Rift backup plan in blue decks in EDH. It's six mana sorcery. Return all creatures to their owner's hand. For each opponent who controlled a creature, return this way. Create two one one blue fairy creature tokens with flying, and this creature can only block with flying can only block creatures with flying which doesn't matter because you're just going to start swinging out so you do this to all your opponents everybody picks up all their stuff you get six one one fairies they've got to deal with and it's probably going to take them a while <laughs> to work through that uh they're not going to want to waste a sweeper on your sweet on the dregs that resulted from your own sweeper because you're still going to be playing out your other cards so that puts them in a bit of a tight spot I don't know. I think I would if the card said return all creatures to owner's hands and then you get a 6/6 six, six flyer that can't that can only block creatures with flying. I would think that's worth a sweeper slash removal spell. That's a that's a big deal. But, you know, nobody's going to play Fairy Slumber Party fairly. You're going to play it with other things that boost up uh fairy power and toughness and whatnot and then it's really going to get out of hand. Yeah, cuz if you have a fairy lord that gets bounced back but you get to follow up and play it that turn or the next turn, and then you're swinging out for 12, that's a whole different story. Yeah, I wouldn't let somebody keep six fairy tokens around, just on general principle. And yet, in, in decks like Morophon, this can do this can be really nasty too. Like the decks where they, they have changelings and they're going to get a bunch of bonuses for these being fairies that are unexpected. Yeah, there's some, some really cool fairies coming out. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see the last couple of cards that are coming. We've almost got the complete set out, so... We're, there's not much left to go on this particular set, thankfully, because we've got five more sets coming this year or something crazy. So far, so good. I mean, this is about as, as exact, pretty much exactly what I would have hoped for from this set and from the, the Enchanted Tales. So no complaints based on what I've seen thus far. Yeah, my only beef is that they don't plan their reprints well. Otherwise, it's been pretty great. All right. Where can folks find you online, my friend? 
You can find me online on Twitter at Word of Commander, or you can find me every Friday on mtgprice.com with the articles I put up every single Friday. You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service. For just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that would drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering, I know our folks are pretty stoked to get their very well-priced Lorcana cases in hand this week, which should probably for most of them pay off their entire year's worth of participation pretty easily yeah a lot of the group buys have been very profitable this year it's been impressive uh once again mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in magic the gathering singles sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles please use the promo code finance5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast that's it for this week, James. I think next week we get the last bits that need to be revealed, right? Sounds about right. So we will see all of you next week. Thank you, Cliff, and thank everybody else for an, as we get ready for another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.